I'd like to share a message with you today. Thank you for your friendliness and laughter. Uh, today's message is entitled, Be a Grateful Leper. I want to welcome again those that are joining us online. Thanksgiving is this week. It's my favorite holiday. Somebody might say, well, Easter should be your favorite holiday. Well, every Sunday is an Easter. It's the Lord's Day. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday in church history was a day to remember, reflect, and celebrate the resurrection. Somebody might say, well, maybe Christmas should be better. Well, Christmas is a reasonably new holiday. Christmas was not celebrated for the first, oh, five, six centuries of the church. Jesus' birth was not on a Christian sacred calendar until the early uh, Middle Ages. Thanksgiving is a, is, a, is, a, is a kind of a holiday that doesn't have a lot of gift giving, which can make Christmas kind of chaotic. And it's not kind of a, a high church event like an Easter. It's a, it's a common man holiday. It's, it's a holiday that we can give thanks to God in a special way every year and it brings spiritual renewal. It revives hope and puts God back at the center of our families. Many of you will be having Thanksgiving Day dinner. I hope you take some time at the dinner table to go around the circle and say something you're thankful for. And don't make it funny, just a joke. Who can one-up the humor of the previous person? But children can do this. People that are introverts can share one thing they're thankful for. If you don't have something, say, Pastor Dan. Two words, you're off the hook. <laughs> Mayo Clinic did a large study on giving thanks, an attitude of gratitude. And they found that there was a noticeable difference in mental and physical health, 20% improvement in both, just by being grateful. When I do marriage counseling, and I know the husband and the wife are at odds, I will start a marriage counseling session. We're going to get to the tough stuff. But I will start by asking a question. What first attracted you to your spouse? What quality first attracted? It shifts the narrative away from what's wrong with him or her to what's commendable about him. And just that shift of perspective many times can keep the conversation civil because there's gratitude at the beginning of it. Deuteronomy 28, get this, Deuteronomy 28, 47 through 48. This is Deuteronomy 28, which is the list of blessings and the list of curses for obeying the law. A lot of sermons come out of Deuteronomy 28. Blessed in the city, blessed in the field. That's all Deuteronomy 28. It says this, God speaking, you had plenty of everything, but you did not serve the Lord with joy. So you're going to serve your enemies. You will be hungry, thirsty, naked, and poor. The curse here came on Israel, not because they didn't serve the Lord. He says, you had everything you needed. And you served me, but you did not serve me with joy. You did not serve me with thankfulness. 
I don't believe God gets any pleasure by you obeying God on the outside, but on the inside aren't grateful for God. I don't think we get credit because we're going to serve the Lord and we, and we actually may abuse our family, our health, and, but we're not, we're not happy servants. The Bible says here, if we serve God, we don't get credit. You have to serve God with thankfulness, with joy, with happiness. Like you are blessed to serve him because of all the things that he has given us. Can I hear an amen to that? Today we're going to look at a story about 10 lepers. You know the story. Only one had a heart of gratitude. And that gratitude led to an astounding blessing that the other nine did not receive. And the only substantive difference between the one and the other nine is he was a man of deep thankfulness for what God had done for him. Luke chapter 17, 11, verse 11 through verse 19. Verse 11. You can follow along with me. This will be out of the English Standard Version. I want to read the text. And then I, if I will, I'd like to go back and look at the text line by line. So those of you that are in the production team, I'm going to circle back and take one verse at a time, make commentary. Then I have some closing uh, points, four closing points that are general points that will go quickly and that will be today's Thanksgiving message. Luke 17 verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem he was passing, this is Jesus, along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus Master, have mercy on us. Can I hear an amen to that? Lord, have mercy on us. When he saw them, didn't hear them, he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Obviously the contrast between the other nine being Jews. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except the foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Or you could translate it, your faith has saved you. Nine were healed, ten were healed, one gets saved. And the one that got saved was the one who had a heart of gratitude. Can we go verse by verse? Verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. This is Jesus' last journey to Jerusalem on the way to the cross. The selection of stories and teachings now become very, very critical in the Gospels because he's coming to the end of his messianic earthly mission 
Samaria, of course, is a, is a, is a, is, were, used to be part of Israel. They, they intermarried with pagans. They, they, they have some Jewish blood, but they're mostly considered pagans, half-breeds. Uh, matter of fact, if you were a Jew and, and you're up in the Galilee, which is the northern part, and Jerusalem's down here, and Judea down here, in the middle of Samaria, you'd walk down through Galilee, then you'd take a, oh, let's see, you'd take a right turn, <laughs> go across the Jordan River, walk down, and then take a left turn. So you'd have, you'd have a day or two of walking just so you wouldn't have to step foot in Samaria. And he, as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Who stood at a distance. Lepers, which is probably the most serious disease of, of, the, of the Old Testament. Uh, there's three chapters in Leviticus. Get a load of this. There's a full three chapters in Leviticus just to talk about if you have leprosy. If the rash looks like that, you have leprosy. If the rash doesn't look like that, wait seven days to see if the rash looks like that. If the rash doesn't look like that, then you still got to wait seven more days. Then you have to see, does the hair come up out of the white part of the skin or does it come out of the normal part of the skin? Is the scab on the top of the skin or beneath the skin? All to, to detect, is this, is this thing leprosy? It was a big deal. It was the, it was the only disease that allowed to force you out of your community. You know, for example, if you had a physical ailment or a mental ailment, uh, you could still live with your family. If you have leprosy, you got to go, man. You got to live on the outside of the city in kind of a shanty town, I, I imagine. All the lepers live together there. And if somebody came close to you in Leviticus 13, it says you were required by the law of Moses to holler, scream out, unclean, unclean, which means don't come near me. I'm, I'm a leper. I have an infection. And they were to live alone outside the camp. Lepers were the ultimate social outcasts. The Bible does say, however, when the kingdom of God comes, the dead are raised, the sick are healed, and the lepers are cleansed. So one of the elements of the kingdom of God was this miraculous power to heal leprosy. Verse 13. Are we all with me? And they lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. This is an imperative verb, which means it's a verb of command. So they're not just kind of wishy-washy here. They see this man that they'd heard that can heal leprosy, and they call out to him with such, uh, with such a petition of desperation, it's an imperative verb. So it's, it's, not, it's not the verb of would you heal us. It's the verb, heal us. You've got the power, dude. Heal us. Don't you leave this village till you heal us. So they made quite a scene because they know their little opportunity of being healing, of being healed was at hand. This phrase, have mercy on us, is found 15 times in the New Testament. Two blind men in Matthew 9 say, Lord, have mercy on us. A Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 says, Lord, have mercy on us. Matthew 17, a man who had a lunatic son said, Lord, have mercy on me. Matthew chapter 20, there was two blind men who said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Mark chapter 10, the blind beggar, Bartimaeus said, 
Lord, have mercy on me. The rich man in hell, in the parable of the rich man, says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Luke 17 and 18, two incidents of a blind man saying, Lord, have mercy. I've preached this sermon here. I've used it and referenced it many times. Here's one prayer. You all know this, right? That God always answers is, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And then you leave it. If you will cry out, and I, it's not like this. It's not, it's not like, yeah, God, have mercy on me. That doesn't, that probably doesn't get as far as the ceiling. But if you are sincere and broken and humble to God, you say, God, I did it again. Would you have mercy on me? He always has mercy. And that mercy manifests in lots of different ways. One thing it does is it relieves your conscience of fear and regret. It changes circumstances. It opens doors. All of these instances of Lord have mercy all led to a healing. Led to a healing. My own healing in this journey of prostate cancer. I've had multiple healings. So I'm not going to repeat the journey, but the first big healing on prostate with prostate cancer is when I, when I fell on my knees with the doctor's support in my office, and my wife is with me. I just fell on my knees, and I babbled, like, a, you, know, with, you know, biblically called out to God, say, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. And then I confessed all of my sin. Rhonda came back three hours later, and I was just about done. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Verse 14, and when he saw them, Jesus saw them. Now, instead of he didn't hear, he didn't hear them. He saw them. Well, one of the first organs that leprosy affects is the vocal cords. It may be implied here that all they could do is whisper it. Because you do ultimately lose your voice. But he did see them. Well, the, whether Jesus hears you today or sees you today, Know that he's a God of mercy. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Let me look at that first part. Show yourself to the priest. Leviticus says it's only the priest that can declare you healed of leprosy. It can't be your clan leader. It can't be someone in your family. It has to be the priest. Because it, it's a very serious religious thing to have leprosy. So the priest inspects you, and when the priest certifies you're healed, then you're healed. So he's saying, go to the priest, according to the law, and the priest will verify that you have been healed. And it says in the second part of the verse, and as they went, they were cleansed. Isn't that a great verse? And as they went, they were healed. What that means to me is we can pray for healing and then we have to keep on going. And in our ongoing obedience to God, healing manifests progressively. Sometimes you get it at an altar. Sometimes you get it in a prayer room. Sometimes you get it like that. Anybody here got an instantaneous healing? Let me see your hand real quick. Yeah, lots of you have had it. It can be little things. But it also can be big things. Instantaneous, like, whoa. It was here and now it's gone. Lots of times healing is progressive. It might involve doctors. Lots of doctors. But in the end, you're healed. And in the end, you say something like this. 
It was God who used the doctors. God made the medicine work really, really good. God gave the doctor insight into my prognosis. See, he did it that way too. So as they went, they were healed. As they obeyed God, they were healed. If you're not going to obey God, why ask for healing? Heal me, Lord, heal me. I'm going to sleep with my girlfriend tonight, but heal me, Lord, heal me. That's a little bit hypocritical. So you say, Lord, I know I can't earn my healing, but I can certainly thwart it by not obeying you. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, so it must happen pretty quick, so he's so, so they're, they're in an in area, the borders, uh, Galilee, or not Galilee, but uh, Judah and Samaria. So they got to get to Jerusalem. It's probably a couple of day walk. So within those couple of days, where he, these guys are walking up to the temple to see a priest. While they're walking, they take one step of leprosy and it's getting a little better, a little better. And then they look it down and, hey. Our skin's like baby skin. God, God has really healed us here. And one of them, not ten, one, saw that he was healed. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. This man wanted something more than physical healing. Let that sink in. This man wanted something more than physical healing. He wanted to know the healer. He wanted somehow to find him again and have a relationship with the healer. There was something in him that was not satisfied that my body got healed. Something on the inside says there's something on the inside that needs to be healed too. I want to find the healer. Again, the other nine dudes are going home and saying to their wives, put on your dancing shoes, I'm healed. This man says, dancing's for another time. I want to find the man who healed me. I want to know who he is. I want, is he the Messiah, not only the healer, but the Savior? And I want to meet him. I want to get down on my face and worship him as if he was God, because he is God. He recognized that he was a sinner who needed not only his skin cleansed, he needed his heart renewed. Listen, I have been physically ill but inwardly at peace with God. And I've also had outward health, but inwardly not have peace with God. And I've had a lot of both in different variations. I've come to the conclusion, <laughs> physical healing is great. But if you're screwed up on the inside, uh, seriously, if you're screwed up on the inside, so what if you're, you know, you're Denzel Washington? Well, that ages me. I picked a 65-year-old guy. <laughs> Melvin, give me a 25-year-old black actor. That would be considered like virile and handsome and... Michael Jordan? 
Yes, black folks, what is it? What is it? Michael B. That's it? Michael B. Michael B. Jordan. All right. Okay, let's be honest here. How many of you white folks have ever heard that before? No, 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 no. Not those of you that have interracial marriages. I'm talking. That doesn't count. You got a cheat sheet. You live with a cheat sheet. You live with a cheat sheet. Someone who knows all the songs, knows all the actors. Okay, you know, you could be a Michael B. Uh, Michael B. Jordan. But you know, if your heart is not at peace, if you're, if you're competitive and you're worried about what people think and you're tormented, and your sin is like a yoke that's dragging you to hell, you say, Lord, do something on the inside. I, I like the outside, but do something on the inside. See, this man had his family given back to him, had his health given back to him, had his community given back to him. He said, that's not enough. Oh, I love the blessings. I love the gift. But the Bible says there is an indescribable gift. There is a gift of all, of all other gifts. And his name is Jesus. In a way, he's saying this. I need Jesus now that I can see what he could do for my body, I can I only imagine what he could do for my soul. There were nine who gave praise and thanksgiving for what God did. And there was one who went a step further and said, I'm going to give you praise for who you are. You're, you're the God of mercy. You're the God of grace. You're the God of power and the God of healing. And he praised him with a loud voice, verse 16, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. So in, this, in the previous verse, it says he turned back praising God. Here he fell at Jesus' feet. The writer is being perfectly clear here. God and Jesus are being equated here. The divinity is in view here. He fell at Jesus' feet. Somehow this healed leper knew this wasn't just a healer. It was the Messiah, God incarnate. Christ was the gift he wanted. High praise, you see here, is in view. Falling on his face, giving thanks, praising with a loud voice. I'm going to say something kind of extraordinary. If you've never worshipped God with a loud voice, there's something wrong with you. And you might say, well, it's not my temperament. That's an excuse. I've seen you at ball games. Now, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't want to be sarcastic. But until the revelation of God's great love for you penetrates the numbness of our emotional satisfaction, our worship will always be tepid. And it'll just be a bit annoying. Like, how long is the song going to go? How loud is the volume in this room? I really don't like this gospel version of Great is Thy Faithfulness. Well, you're really not worshiping. You're a self-appointed critic. There'll have to be a time. It's in your car, in your shower, on a walk, with your spouse, at a concert. Well, one day you're going to tip the hat backwards and you're going to say, I'm going for it! 
I'm going for it. Clear out the carpet. I'm coming on down. Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Verse 17. Then Jesus said, were there not 10? Or where are the nine? This is an extraordinary. Our Savior is not only annoyed, he is hurt. You say, well, he's God, he can't get hurt. Well, he's incarnate, he's human. He is profoundly disappointed by doing a miracle that no man on the planet could do for these guys. And these guys didn't do anything to deserve it. He said, where are those guys? Friends, would you agree with me today? We never want to be like the nine. Don't be ever like the nine. Like you pray and you get the job. You pray, you get the spouse. You pray for the prodigal. He or she comes home. You pray for the disease that goes away. And, and, and our praise is just kind of tepid. And the Lord says, are you the nine or the one? I, and I, I recommend using the phrase in your prayer time, saying, Lord, I don't want to be like the nine. I don't want to be like the nine. I, I want to cherish Jesus above everything. When I was in college, I got saved. I was 18 years old as a freshman at a small college of about 2,500 students. My father was a professor there. It was in my hometown. Uh, I was known on campus uh, somewhat because I'm from that town and my family's from that. This town's only got 4,500 people. And I got saved, man. 1975, August. I just turned 70 uh, 67 yesterday. And uh, back in those days, you used to wear Jesus shirts. You know, the trumpet sound is a, kind of a cartoon of the rapture. Or you have a cartoon of, you know, something Christian. And it's all Christian. I had a big old cross around my neck. And I go to, a, I, go, I, I, I enroll in a literature class. And the very first day of class, the professor said, uh, in this class we're studying literature so we're going to study some bad literature and use it as a point of contrast with good literature so, so he says if you're a Jesus freak like you Dan your, your views aren't welcome now that's a whole point of you know I mean like everybody's welcome except one point of view. that's not my point my point was he called me a Jesus freak not a healing freak not a miracle freak not a spirit freak, not an end time freak. He said, you're a Jesus freak. Go, is there a better compliment? That, is there a better compliment than to be called a Jesus freak? This was the one out of the 10. He says, it's not about getting healed. It's about knowing you, Jesus. And the salvation of my soul is the greatest of gifts. We're going to see that here. Let's go. Was no one found to return? Verse 18. And give praise to God except the foreigner. Reminds me of Joseph when he 
interpreted the dream for the cupbearer. And the dream came true and the cupbearer was delivered from prison. And the cupbearer was supposed to tell everybody that Joseph was unfairly in prison, but he forgot. He got his blessing and he forgot God. How many women look for a godly man or men look for a godly woman, they find one and they forget God. They go to the singles group, they go to church, they go to all the functions, they clean their life up till they snag one. Then after they snag one, they forget God. All I can say is I don't want to be you, dude, when this whole thing comes tumbling down. Because you have made a mockery of the things of God. You use it as a bait to catch your girl. And you weren't really serious about a transformation. Singles, listen to me. It's better to be single and godly than to get desperate and marry somebody who doesn't love Jesus like you. I'm sorry. It is the truth. And there's millions and millions and millions of people that would say, I am an example of that very thing. Don't say, well, I'm so good, I will change him. All right, change him first. Change him first. Then marry him. And it does happen. And, you know, it does happen. Well, I've gone to meddling. I'm almost done here today. Our last verse and he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The word healed used in verse 15 of this story is Iomai. The word cleanse in verse 14 is katharizo. Made you well is the word sozo. So they used a different word for healing, a different word for cleansed and then they use the word here, sozo, which is implied in the text, I believe, of salvation, of saving grace. The greater gift was given this man. It says here, your faith has saved you, dude. Though faith for healing did not save those other nine. But you weren't satisfied with just a healing, just thanking God for what he's done. You pursued a relationship with the Savior. And he saw that faith, that prostrate worship and high voice of praise. And he saw that in you, that humility that you're admitting you were a sinner, that you were a leper far from God. And he says, listen, get up, get up. You've crossed the line. Your faith has saved you. You see, Jesus heals the stigmatized without asking about their worthiness. He healed 10 lepers who were unworthy. Gratitude is often the missing link to completing our healing. This one leper got the greatest gift because his gratitude turned from the healing to the healer. The gift of salvation will always be the greatest gift we can ever receive. And I don't use that to say don't believe for healing, don't believe for prosperity and deliverance. I'm not saying that at all. But New Life, those online in Deep Creek, if salvation 
ever becomes an appendage and not the trunk of the tree. If salvation ever kind of becomes the whole hum doodly doodly do. And the other things like the prophetic, like healing, like deliverance, like world missions becomes the main thing. We're on a slippery slope of being like the nine and not like the one. When was the last time you had a joy party down in your heart that you're not going to hell? I'm pretty happy about that. Anybody happy about that? Yeah, hell's real. There's a lot about hell. I don't have to go there. My sins are forgiven. I'm a new creature in Christ. The atonement paid the eternal consequence of my relentless disobedience and his grace saved me through faith and there's not enough songs, there's not enough sermons, there's not enough testimonies for me to say, Lord, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. I don't need anything else. You saved me and that's it. I don't need salvation plus prosperity. I don't need salvation plus long life. I don't need salvation plus a perfect wife. Oh, she is perfect. Salvation's enough. No syncretism. I don't have to add anything to it. Wholeheartedly thanking Jesus for who he is is the highest form of worship. This isn't necessarily the highest form of worship. Oh, I feel him. That's good for you. Or dancing. Or something prophetic. Here's the highest form of worship according to our story. Jesus, you have revealed to me that you're the Messiah. I know who you are. And I bow down and I give you thanks that you have the power to save me. You were the third person of the Godhead, God incarnate. Jesus, you came and you died for me. That's the best worship you can give God. It's not that you win this, the, the, the touchdown that wins, wins the game. And I just want to thank, thank the guy up there and uh, thank my mom, coaches. Well, good for you. I mean, that's, that's not wrong. I, I, it makes a, it's a good culture to do that. Uh, no, that's the nine. That's the nine. The one says, Jesus gets all the glory. I'm passing through and he's taking a leper like me. I'm just a grateful leper. I'm an outcast and cannot earn my own healing, spiritual or physical. But this is what I can do. I can say thank you. And I can worship him.